0: There's open source and there's source available. The problem was that there is no good term out there to describe what we were.
1: This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. Welcome, everyone. We're excited to have N8N on the show today, and specifically Jan Oberhauser, who's one of the creators and, and founders of the project. Jan, thanks for joining the show.
0: Thanks for inviting me. Happy to be here.
1: Jan, I, I have to give you a little plug here that you've got an impressive project on your hands, You know, 30,000 plus GitHub stars, 55,000 plus community members. There's a lot of love for what N8N is doing. How do you describe N8N to people? You know, what is it in a couple lines?
0: In in the past, we described ourselves as like an extensible, extendable workflow automation tool. So like really allows you to connect everything to to everything, more or less. When we are fair code licensed, which is very important to mention again, like we are not always approved open source. By the end, we are really a workflow automation tool for technical
1: people. Super. So workflow automation for technical people, although most people aren't, writing code as much as they are Mm -hmm. low-code, drag-and-drop experience. That's correct, yeah. And how did you get into this? Uh, Maybe you could quickly tell us about your background and what led you to feel like there was a need for something like N8N.
0: Sure, yeah. My background was actually, I I worked very many years in the movie industry. I did effects for movies, which is called compositing, meaning it was my job to kind of combine the computer-generated images with with the actual filmed images, so we moved the blue screen, green screen, and added, I don't know, fire, rain, or whatever was important for the scene. I did that a few years, and at some point, I switched roles, I became a pipeline TD, meaning it became my job to make the life of the artist more efficient and easier, which obviously involved involved a lot of automation. And the problem I saw there is that we had this very well-paid people, very smart people that naturally they won like the oscar for benjamin button the year before they always had to come to me for like the most simple things hey can you please help me to automate this can i do that obviously there were two answers i could say yes or no in the worst case scenario obviously said no which was very bad because they had to do this thing forever and it was normally the most fun things to do so it, it was bad for the people because they could have had more joy in their jobs. And it was also bad for the company because these people could have added much more value in different ways. Obviously in the best case scenario, I said, yes, but it was still very bad because I was there, I realized that because I didn't have the problem, they had to come to me and they had to explain it to me. And then I created something, then it wasn't obviously not exactly what they wanted. So I went back again, um, I went back again, created something new and we iterated for a while. always felt like that the people that have the problem they should be able to help themselves. Because it didn't even end at a creation process, it kept, was like going on forever. Like for every small change had they come back to me, like, hey, now send an email, not to John, send it to Jim. And then I had to go in there, change the code, commit it, deploy it again, it was very inefficient. That kind of stuck with me. Um, at some point then I left the movie industry and I started an own startup. And there I saw something very similar that even though I always could help myself because I I could program and could do the things, I I realized that even like the most simple things, like for example, we have a workflow, every time we receive a GitHub star, we get a message in Slack. It's like very simple to explain. It's also very complex to program, but if you do it, it's still gonna take you half a day or multiple days because you have to research the APIs, you have to write the boilerplate code, find the server, upload it, make sure it doesn't crash, and all of that stuff that literally nobody loves to do. And the worst part is that actually tens of millions of people have done that before. Like the, get something from GitHub, send something to Slack. Actually, mm-hmm. that has been done millions of times. The only thing that's different is the middle part. So it felt like kind of wrong that I had to do something again that so many people did before me. So I wanted to create something where you just have to worry more about the logic in between, and then just use pre-built building blocks to to, to do the more boring part uh, of that. Yeah, and so I am. Just looked in the market, researched a few different tools, but all of them had different issues. So I then just brainstormed for a while and thought like how should a product work? And then one insight helps myself who's more technical, but also enables this less technical people to, to help themselves. And that is then yeah, what N came out of is like it's probably started in the beginning of 2018. Yeah, I, I programmed for roughly one and a half years in my free time because I worked on this other startup, as I mentioned before. I also worked at a second startup to earn some money because yeah, I have five and children, and they kind of, I can t- talk about a vision all day long, but they still want to eat, so yeah, yeah. so it took a little bit longer. And then in June, 2019, I uploaded it to GitHub. So then wanted to see what people like, if they like it, what they think about the project, but it, it wasn't ready for prime time yet. Like it didn't have proper documentation didn't have a form, I think, at that time. Um and it was still very early. So I really just wanted to see. And the people that found it helped me, like they gave me feedback, helped with the documentation. Then I wrote a lot more documentation. And then in October 2019, I then did a proper launch on product hunt and hacker news. And that's when that really took off.
1: Wow. So so there was a time when then you kind of believed this and it wasn't clear the, the rest of the world was gonna get excited about it, but it clearly has.
0: Yeah, I think it's the same with, with every project. We just hear about it once it worked.
1: <laughs> and it sounds like it was mostly you from the beginning. Were there other early people you had to bring on board and kind of convince them of the vision?
0: Um, no, like at the beginning, of, like till I launched, it was just myself. Actually, the day I launched, like actually just one contributor started from the US, he, he, he opened the PR, I did an integration he okay, gave feedback, he opened another PR with another integration at some point. <laughs> his name is Ricardo, he created like six integrations for N just for fun in his free time. <laughs> it was really amazing. And he really became then the first, I like, hired him first as a freelancer and now later he became a full-time employee. And he's the only person right now we have in the US because obviously he's such people you have to hire and he's just great. Yeah, and he just came by himself because he liked what we were doing like back then what I was doing and yeah. And yeah, we got a few more other great people like that that just came out of the community. And it's always nice if people come by themselves, they understand the product, understand their vision, and they just want to join.
1: I love that. I, I always tell people that it's fairly easy to, to get noticed in an open source community if you just put in a little bit of, it's not even a ton of work. And that always seems to pay off.
0: Yeah, I think especially like enabling those people is like, you just have a PR, you let it sit there for months, you don't do interact at all, or you just close it, like that doesn't work. But if you like really work there, give feedback, sh- show, show gratitude. And I think that that really helps a lot. That's also like just, it's the same, not just for contributors, the same for people in the community It's like just having people, like showing people, like how helpful they are and, and how great it is what they are doing It's because the most people are used to go on a forum, ask a question and they leave. But it's like really getting those people from just asking also to contribute back and like giving them a great experience. I think that, that's, that really makes all the difference that they actually switch from just being there to, to get help to also giving help to others. And I think that's what worked in our community amazingly well. you like we have so many great community members that are helping others out for all the time for free just because they had a great experience in the past and like to help other people.
1: Yeah. Say more about the community. Cause I, that, that was, I mentioned to you this before the show, that was something that I was really struck with. You've, you've got a large community. They seem fairly engaged. What, what are the, maybe, you know, if you were to advise another open source founder, what are the tools you're using? I know there's a debate between kind of discord Slack and forums. Do you have, do you have people that are kind of assigned to engage in the community?
0: Yeah, actually like, like one of the better decisions I made very early on is like not to have any sync communication. So there was no Slack channel on the Discord. Because it like obviously I, I found an automation company efficiency is quite important for me. Yeah. And and I realized very early on that like I, I cannot build a project and at the same time answer the same question a million times because people always have the same issues again. hmm Um and some obviously some you can obviously say, hey, if people have the same issues, you probably should fix in the product, but yeah, it's a one-man show. That's certainly not that easy. So I thought, okay, like, I want to be efficient. So I, I, I create a forum where people can ask questions. I help them, I answer it one time. The same question comes up again, either they find themselves or I can link it. That worked out very well because it really allowed, back then when I was myself, to, just to handle that. And again, then when this first contributor joined Ricardo, like he jumped on there and helped all the other people out that again, then spawned the next generation of people. I think that is really something I, I can recommend for everybody is like, that just freed up a lot of time, helped to build a great community. And again, the time you could then invest in the, in the product or in other things that actually mattered rather than, again, answering the same question a million times. I think that there was, this was definitely one thing that worked out really well. And I think just caring Like for example, like very early on after I launched, I got a lot of emails from investors, like that they were reaching out. But in the end, like like either I didn't answer at all, or I waited a a while because like there were so many people starting to use NNN, which was much more important for me than talking with investors at at that point. I think just prioritizing the community like accordingly is is really important if you want to build a great community.
1: Good and going back to kind of what N8N is and and kind of, you know, at the beginning of the show, we were trying to talk about the categories of, of software and where N8N fits. And we, we just talked about how there are other kind of code-based workflow solutions like Temporal and Conductor, which we've had on the show. And then we talked about more, uh, inclu- uh, Windmill maybe as well. And then maybe more graphical ones. I, I didn't have any good examples. I, I mean, I think people talk about Zapier, I don't know, Jan, if that's a good fit, but how, maybe how would you kind of characterize the the type of software in it n is?
0: I think like the most people think about Zapier when they see the first time n it, n And actually to understand like when I launched, I called it the Zapier Alternative because it was the most widely used tool, most widely known tool to made definitely sense at that point in time. But in the end, we actually don't compete with Zapier that much mm-hmm. because the difference is that Sapir is like an amazing tool. If if you want to do like more simple things, you want to connect A to B, you have something that takes like two to five steps. I think Sapir is great. And if you're not technical and that's all you need, Sapir is the tool for you. Where really ended and shines is when you have more complex things to do. Because like, if you for example, not such as A, B to C, you have A to B, and then depending on the data, you do C or D. And depending on that, you do something else. And at some point, it goes together, like it branches off, it it can merge data back together. Like it's really complex use cases where something like CP doesn't work. And where you, yeah, that's what I would generally say. That's where NNN gets interesting. And I think, especially what people like about NNN is the next to the flexibility is like you don't hit hit this, this kind of glass ceilings. The problem with the most no code tools is like, you build and build and build like, like hey, I just spent a, like a week on it and this, I'm already done. Like it would have taken me months to do it. And like, I just need this little bit more and I'm done it tomorrow probably. <laughs> then you realize, okay, actually this one thing that I want to do now and the tool hasn't been created for that. Mm-hmm. And then you hit this glass ceiling and then it actually becomes very painful. Then you have to invest, you actually pay back <laughs> everything you saved twice to make that one thing work again. That is what, what people really value about end mm-hmm. end. Like you can always fall back to code. You have, a, you have a code node where you can literally do anything. You can write your own nodes and that every node and in, in, in like it's an integration, it's like a node in, in a node graph. It's, it's just some Node.js code. So you can literally write every, anything you want. And yeah, you don't, don't hit the ceilings. You always stay flexible. You, you can also self-host the product, which is day, great for data security and data privacy. But I think that the flexibility is really the one that comes out the most. It's like that there just no idea there they are no no limits with n 8 n that really resonates very well with our user base
1: and your users are technical users, I think I heard you say
0: exactly, and we describe ourselves as a workflow automation tool for technical people
1: maybe maybe what are the use cases so uh, you know are there are there things that people keep coming back to n eight n for
0: yes, there's actually. It's kind of a good and a bad thing, but for like ours, I always compare it with Excel. Like people use Excel privately in niche corporations that do vacation planning privately and in each corporation, they don't know they plan the different shifts. And why does it work? Because Excel is this very generic tool that doesn't care about what's in it, it's really just some data. Mm-hmm. And, and it is very similar to that. It's like you have trigger nodes that kind of start the workflow with, with some initial data and then each node, can use the data to do for an action or it can transform the data and it doesn't care about what data it is so right now we have on the one hand side people using internet privately to book every night at 12 for one their fitness class on the other hand do we have big companies like big banks even that upgrade their mainframe with internet and literally anything in between there are for sure, a few use cases we are focused on more about. Um, it's one is, the, for example, around security. where so we see a lot of interesting usage right now because the product fits very well there. People are more technical. They have some of those very specific use cases that are very custom to, to what they need to do uh, for their company. So like we have actually two major telecommunication companies that use NNN for accepted use cases because are, it, it, it's so flexible. They can self-host it. They know exactly where the data is lying. They don't have to worry about any security holes or anything because it runs in their own data center. And that is really, yeah, what those people value, and that's why it's working so well for those use cases.
1: And maybe to help people kind of frame likely use cases, generally these are ones where there's some trigger that that begins a workflow, and maybe these are steps that people often complete manually, and and it, it gets increasingly tedious, and they decide we need to we need to automate this like thing and. Exactly. Like, Is that fair? Tri-
0: that's fair, yeah. In the end, like, if there are different kinds of triggers, normally there are a like few main ones. The most are either like time-based, do, do something at a specific time, or do something when there's something externally happening. For example, I don't know. Every time you get a new lead in Pipedrive or you get something from Typeform or somebody calls a specific URL or you get a new message in RabbitMQ or Kafka, that can start a workflow. And then again, each node can do something in an application. We have specific nodes that can do something like, for example, in Pipedrive, create a new new lead or a new deal, or send a Kafka message, or make a, literally anything in, in any tool that like, you can create nodes for. And we have a second class, which is like this very generic nodes. For example, send a generic HTTP request to a service we, for example, don't have a native integration for, or, or receive generic webhooks just to start a workflow or transform data. Yeah, and that's more or less how n works. You have trigger nodes that start a workflow and generic nodes that, um, uh, regular nodes that that transform the data and, and again make, um, or can make any kind of action that is possible in Node.js.
1: Got it. Jan, I'm curious, when I think about go-to-market or how people adopt N8N, I imagine with Zapier that it's a lot of individuals. I could be wrong, but you know, an individual has a pain point, and rather than asking their team to solve it for them, they they go and use personal OAuth and script something together. How, how does it work with N8N? Is this also kind of rogue individuals trying to solve something, or is, is this become like a team wide decision? We we all we all agree with this needs to be solved, and we turn to N8N for it.
0: Actually, like yeah, our. PLG motion is very strong it's like it normally starts out with an individual like many of them started to use n m privately and then they use it for some home automation sometimes or for for their fitness classes mentioned before then they see ah okay like there's actually need at my work as well then they start to adopt it normally like it starts very small and then it starts to grow from there and then like one one person is one department adopts it, then the team starts to adopt it and then other teams see it as well and then it starts to spread across the company like that.
1: Got it, wow. And in essence, you maybe have greater expansion possibilities than Zapier. Where I'm not sure Zapier moves beyond the individual as successfully as you do. You mentioned that uh, you, know, you can host on-prem and other things like that that are palatable to large organizations.
0: So, yeah, actually, I think like, that's the nice thing about, again, our product is like, th- there are so many different use cases, and, and every company has so many different of them. It's like, there's really, the, there's not really a limit. The, like, the, I think the, the, the current limitation would be, if I would have to name one, was really because we focus on this more technical people. In the long term, we definitely want to focus also on this less technical people, but I think that's really... The main limitation right there, is like, that's what separates us, for example, for Zapier, it's like they focus on these knowledge workers that, that mm-hmm. are, are not technical. We really expect that people have some kind of technical background. They should know what a JSON is, for example, maybe write a little bit of, of JavaScript code, and then they have a great experience with it. Everything below that, as if you would recommend them to use a different tool, because like We want to be very honest we want to make sure that we get the right people that people have a good experience and sometimes it's the right thing to say hey sadly, you're probably the right the wrong user right now in a few years we're probably ready and like when when we support you then it's great but for now that's probably the wrong tool for you but yeah or once you're ready or we're ready definitely happy to have you back super
1: maybe take us under the hood just a tiny bit uh, for those who are kind of interested in the technical details. How, you know, I I imagine some technical users might wonder if, if they wrote a manual kind of script to solve this, if they could uh, have greater reliability, maybe they, it handles errors better. Maybe it would be more efficient. How does n 8 N8N match up to kind of a well thought out, you know, manual script?
0: Yeah, thanks for bringing it up. Actually, it's like quite interesting. Like our, if you call it our biggest competitors, actually not really a product out there. Then most people come literally from writing scripts, mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah, like they write some Python scripts and then they switch to it. An and and the reason why they do it is actually more or less around what you just mentioned. It's like if you write a script and something goes wrong, debugging it is not really fun. It's like it stopped somewhere in the middle. Like some data is half written somewhere. Then even if you see the bug, then it's like it's not as easy to restart it because yeah, like that's literally in the middle of a script somewhere. Then you have to comment some stuff out and try around. That's really not a good experience to, until you, you until you actually already find a problem. That is very different than in, in the end because like you literally can open a past execution. You can directly see where it failed. You can see the error message. You can say ah okay I didn't consider. That edge case, so you actually change your workflow, say restart, and it starts to run again from that point in time moving forward. It's like, like being able to see problems and debug them is, is very easy. Also around reliability, it's like, when 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 a script fails, like normally it fails and we maybe don't even realize unless you have written specific code that tells you about it failing and it I don't know sends you an email or sends you some other kind of event. With N at N, you can very easily set up an error workflow, meaning it's a specific N at N workflow that runs every time um, a workflow of is failing. So you can say, hey, every time my workflow fails, send me a Slack message or send me an email or whatever you want. Like each error workflow, is, is its own workflow, it can be as simple, as complex as you want to. So like you get all of that for free. Also what you save is like the, the whole deployment part. It's like, you don't have to look Upload it somewhere, find a server, all of those things, and then, again, set up SSL certificates. You literally set up an end and once, and it does that. Like, you press New, create a new workflow, set it up, press Save, activate it, and it's running. Disable it, and it's deactivated. And another important point is around collaboration. What we see very often is, like, what I mentioned before in my experience in the VFX world. it's like, like do, do, do you have people that have a problem, they fix the problem themselves? Let's say there are actually two possible ways. You have, have somebody less technical, they, they start a workflow and then they get stuck. Then they get help from a more technical person that figures out the complex part and they keep on work, they keep on finishing the workflow and they start maintaining it. And every time they have a bigger problem, they would contact again um, this more technical person. But for the most things, they don't have to go back to that other person because they can, can maintain it themselves. Or also the other way around, like you have a more technical person starting a workflow, but then they give it to somebody less technical to maintain it. Like it just allows less technical people to do tasks that only previously a more technical could do. And again, it enables those people and empowers them to actually being like, being free of, of being independent of this technical person of, of their time. Like, because you always end up in this kind of, a bit of this backing position. Hey, when you have time, could you please? (laughs) That, like, that's never nice. Like, you always, like, this person knows something I don't know, and that person has the power and I'm dependent on them. That's never nice. Really, and, and it ends, like, one of our core values is empower others. It's like, really, we want to empower people to help themselves. And it could be this less technical people that are totally, totally unable to do something before, but it could also be the technical people to do something faster and for more people. And, and can 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 so can so do more in less time.
1: What's the um, the future look like for N8N? I think you, you kind of hinted at some things while we while we chatted here. You mentioned maybe you want to address less technical users somehow. Um, maybe help us understand where the project's at today, and and uh, you know things you're excited about in the future.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, and like we're still a young, small company. We cannot be everything for everybody. <laughs> it simply doesn't work. Like the product, theoretically, is able to do that, but, but our, the organization isn't ready for that. We simply don't have the scale. That's why we focus on this more technical people for a few specific use cases, like, for example, security. In the long term, the idea is to really give, like, one of our mission is to give everybody who uses a computer technical superpowers. We so really want that everybody can use NNN and enable them to do whatever they want to do. So it means that it should, it does not go down the ladder in, in the sense of how technical they are, but as well, we also expand on the kind of use cases. And in the end, the idea is really more around making the same possible and initially, like we have a single product that enables others and then powers them. And as, as we grow, there are definitely many other ways that we're thinking about how we can do the, make the same possible in other ways with other products and so on.
1: Uh, Jan, I noticed on your website. When you, we mentioned this before the show that uh, it's listed as source available. And you have some history in selecting the license and 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 the approach to open source. Maybe you can tell us about how you did that. And, and I, as I understand it, you had some issues along the way.
0: Yeah, that's true. I'm um, actually like before I while I was craving it, and I was thinking about a lot about the license to use. There are obviously a lot of open source licenses out there. But at the same time, did they also see that more and more open source projects started to change the license? Because at some point they realized it wasn't sustainable. They wanted to build a company and, and the license kind of caused problems for them. And then I also saw like, especially in hacker news, that for example, like if somebody like Elasticsearch changed the license because somebody like Amazon used them without paying, the people said, hey, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's their own fault. Like you chose an open source license. An open source license allows exactly to do that don't complain like they play by the rules you made the rules it's like you're not the one to complain about it and I definitely didn't want that it's like and i also don't like to it's never good to take something away people had before it's like (laughs) nobody wins there like that's just bad i think being upfront about something is always always best and for that reason that when i launched I made sure that I thought it through. And that's why I chose back then the Apache 2 license with the Commons clause. And it and was not OC-approved open source anymore. The problem was that there is no good term out there to describe what we were. Like there's, there's open source and there's source available. Um there's also OC-approved open source <laughs> because open source is actually not really a protected term, but that the, the, the OC obviously wants to have it that way. And that's why you always have to be careful there. Um, so I didn't want to use source available because the problem with source available is that it doesn't have a definition. Like if you look on, on Wikipedia, it literally describes it as the source code being available. Meaning have a project is MIT license that's source available. If a project doesn't have a license or has a license that allows you to do nothing, just look at a code, it's also source available. So it actually doesn't have a, a meaning at all. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, well, how can I describe it in a way that people actually get the best idea what is possible with nn so i described it as open source i put it in quotes and i described everywhere hey it's not OC approved open source like you can do all the stuff you can do with open source but what you cannot do is is to commercialize our code so you cannot for example offer a hosted version of nn for the simple reason because when i thought about nn i always the plan was always to, to make money with the project like i want to live of it. It's like, a, I wanted to have a job. I wanted to spend my whole time on the project. Mm-hmm. The problem with the most open source projects is that be, bec- because of that license, like you, for example, saw with, with with Elasticsearch and AWS, that a lot of value that gets created doesn't actually end up with the company behind the project and doesn't go back into the project for that reason. It, it literally goes to the other company, makes proof and it's gone. Like it, it could provide so much value for the product and especially for the community, but, but it, it, it simply goes away. So I thought, okay, how do I make sure that it doesn't happen? And then again, that's why I chose patch to with Commons clause, but because it protected N at N. The problem was when we launched it, people didn't really like it. Like some people didn't care, but obviously some people care pretty really much about it, like about many things. It's like, there's a few people that that obviously, if you're very involved in the OSI, you're not going to like it if if, if somebody is their eyes really totally using that, the term in the wrong way and so people started to complain about it there's like this very long thread uh, and a github issue so if anybody's bored there's like if you type in gaslight n at n you you find it um, very easily via google and you can literally read for probably <laughs> two days th- through the whole um discussion there but in the end how it ended is that, uh, that i agreed and said hey okay." I, I, we stopped using the term open source. We rather create something else, what we then called fair code license. Meaning fair code means in the end, is pretty much what I described before. You can do everything with the code more or less that you want, but you can commercialize the code to make sure that the, the most financial gains actually goes back into the project, which, which helps everybody. And then, so we changed, then we, we removed every open source uh, reference and at the same time, did we also create a new license uh, okay, and that at the same time, a little bit later actually, which is called the Sustainable Use License, which is based on the amazing uh, Elastic Community Li- License 2.0. And that um, exactly follows, like, ex- now it ex- describes exactly what we want to allow, what we don't want to allow. And, and I think that was, in hindsight, was a very good decision to be always very upfront about what we, we expect. And I didn't want that the people feel cheated and say, hey. I contributed because it was open source, I contributed because of that, because I thought, hey, he's just doing it out of the good of his heart. Like (laughs) I try to be a nice person, but I still want to eat and I have a family and and we have a lot of people to pay and I I care about the project and I really want to make sure it's it's sustainable long term. I think it's the best. Yeah, And I think with with the license and how we're doing it, I I think we give the company and the project the, the biggest chance of being big and successful and everybody allowing it to use it long term.
1: Your experience here is really helpful and unique, I think, to a lot of other founders who who probably wrestle with the same thing. Uh, you've got an impressive community and adoption. I'm curious if you think. I imagine people in your shoes might feel like, oh, if I if I do this fair code option, it might limit adoption. Do you Do you feel like the 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 approach you have taken with licensing has limited adoption? Because it's not clear it has to me.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's definitely it did for sure a little bit. It's like you okay. have some disadvantages again, like not being able to use open source, it's like it's always harder for people because like nobody has the idea I don't know, to Google, I don't know, open source times alternative or open source Mercator alternative that that, mm-hmm. that, that 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 Google that, but that we would normally not show up because we cannot use the source open to, open source um, there. Yep. Or there are like some lists like because the most time when open source get mentioned, that it's, say, as defined by o- OSI. So they yeah. are normally out there. For example, we, I remember there was like this, this Digital Ocean um, hack, how's it called, hack, hack, hack. something, yeah, they have like a second one where they give away T-shirts. Um, and actually I wanted to participate there. So I wrote them and said, hey, like, is, can we participate because we're not OSI approved open source? And the antenna said, yes, it's fine. As long as the source code is on GitHub and it's open, you can use it. Like you, you, can, you, can, you can attend. So actually we did. I think we didn't get a single contribution <laughs> back then. <laughs> but again, we were there. But but the interesting thing was that actually then somebody wrote them an email and complained. Uh, and said, oh. like, Hey, this just shouldn't, there's not o, o, open source, they should not be able to attend.
1: Hmm. And
0: they they kind of pulled back then. <laughs> that happens quite a lot. It's like that people say hey this, it's fine to participate if you're open source, but then people are complaining and then actually people don't want to to anger people because like this 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 o c community they're they're quite loud <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it takes brings them more risk than actually gain, so there's definitely i think in the short term the, the, there are some smaller losses, but I think it becomes also quite much more normal i like just checked today and looked at a few projects like that partly a little bit competing to us. And many of them are actually not OC approved open source. They actually use custom licenses. Interestingly, yeah. they, still use, they still use the term open source. <laughs> but yeah, but nobody, yeah. I guess they're still smaller, that nobody cares there. But it's quite interesting. It actually goes more and more in the direction of, of having custom licenses there. They also talk with the, the CEOs of larger and founders of larger uh, open source projects that actually switched away, uh, partly also didn't. They asked them, hey, should we be OT o- approved open source? And the answer I think it got more or less from all of them is that it doesn't matter. Nobody cares anymore. <laughs> it's quite interesting. So, like, it doesn't matter. And like, I- I'm sure like, it gives some disadvantages, but in the long term, if it's the right thing for the company, like, it's an important decision. I don't think everything should be not uh, open source. And there's a very good reason to be open source, especially like if you have lower level libraries. Like, if you're not open source, it doesn't make sense. But it really has to be an active decision. It shouldn't be the default. Like with everything, you have to to think through of your options, advantages, disadvantages. not just like, ah, oh, obviously it has to be open source and actually at some point realize it probably shouldn't. And then you're screwed because then you literally have to engage, yeah, either stay that way or make everybody very, very unhappy because they feel kind of cheated. And they have a reason to be because yeah. obviously you change the rules
1: afterwards. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if the OSI would ever consider some kind of qualifier. You know, there's wheat bread and then there's whole wheat bread. And, and maybe we need it fully open source. And then we can all actually, use the open source term the way we want to.
0: It's actually very really funny. Actually, like when we, this whole, there was this whole discussion I mentioned on GitHub with gaslighting people. And actually the, the president of the back then of the OSI reached out to me. And we had a long discussion with him about it. Like, exactly proposed, exactly the same thing. Like, there's kind of a level system. You have like an on a level one, which is the current definition. You have level two, which takes away the compensation rights. Level yeah. three, something else. But, but yeah, then, actually, I really like the guy. He's great. He was super friendly. We had a good discussion. But yeah, then, definitely nothing they were interested in. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, it, maybe it, in time, as it moves more in that direction, maybe they have to. But back then, which was again like 2019, was very far away. But I think at some point, I guess the pressure is going to uh, increase, and maybe it's going to change.
1: Super, and I, I mean, your 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 project is important for that process because I think you're right that that people aren't going to make a decision ahead of you proving that the that the world wants source-available software, uh, because I think what what many don't realize is that open source companies that, that adhere to OSI licenses end up doing other things over their life cycle to make themselves more commercially viable that I think maybe hurt communities more than the source available licensing.
0: Yes, actually, I saw quite a few products. Like there are, like we have, for example, one competitor that, that, that he writes, like they created themselves because there was no open source version because you're not open source, they created another one. The funny thing is they chose them like the the, the, the I like the, what's the right words, the, the most limiting open source license out there. Yeah. yeah. So that's quite interesting that it's literally like, even those people are aware like that there are disadvantages and it's definitely going in a the direction. There are a lot of projects out there that they are open source, but literally if you have a problem, they're not gonna answer your question. Like you're on the forum, Nothing. It's like, unless you're, you're a paid user, you will not hear back at all. There's like, I get this error message that says, I don't know, error 227. What does it mean? Nothing, no documentation. I think that's the difference, but I think but definitely help in our case for the community. Like, no matter if you're a paying user or free user, everybody can come to our forum and we help them out. They get an am- have an amazing experience because we have three great people doing that full time, taking care of our community there. We don't offer, like, we, we offer also paid support for enterprise users that's 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 paid again they they, they can write us like personal messages we don't do any email support for free again it's not very scalable and if you want that if you answer a question that it also helps other people but again everybody gets an amazing experience no matter if they're paid or not and i think what some open source projects are missing like people really look what can i do with the code they don't look at the whole product or the whole community and what the product is generally doing and interestingly also, a lot of companies at some point they remove the open source reference totally from from their website. <laughs> it's like as soon as they want to commercialize, like they they start to hide the term the, the fact that they are actually open source. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, there, there's obviously disadvantage and advantage with each of them. But it's quite interesting how it's heading. There's not I think there's not a, so clear a good and bad. How people always want to make it seem you're open source you're good and you're not open source you're bad. I think there are other things people should con- considering as well. And I think. At least we we try to do the the right thing there. And I think it's it's paying off. And I think people see that as well, even though we are not always approved open source. there.
1: Super. Jan, thanks so much today. Um, There's more we could talk about. Unfortunately, we're bumping up against our allotted recording time. Uh, Anything you wanted to add before we wrap up?
0: No, thanks. I really had a great time. I really was helpful for some people, especially the people that start to think about creating a project or in the about to to release it like really think about the license what kind of product you want to build especially what kind of community you want to build and and what really matters and i think that some doing stuff inten- intentionally it's really important and being upfront about things is is always the right thing that that really gonna pay off in the long term it's gonna be painful in the short term maybe but in the long term it's really gonna be worth it and obviously thank you for having me <laughs> had a good time
1: awesome jan thank you so much and um We'll uh, have to revisit how things have gone uh, years from now.
0: Sounds great. Thanks. Bye.
1: You can subscribe to the podcast and check out our community Slack and newsletter at contributor.fyi. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson. And this has been Contributor.